1 Timothy 3, verse 14. This is God's holy and infallible word. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. That's God's word for us this morning. If you remember, what prompted this Pillars of the Reformation series was the fact that the Protestant Reformation celebrates 500 years in the year 2017. And, and that's, the Protestant Reformation is a big deal because all the churches around, any church around you see, except for Catholic churches and Orthodox churches, come out of the Reformation. Every other one. God used people like Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin uh, to bring a great renewal in the church. And that's always a wonderful thing, a great renewal in the church. That's what the Reformation was. And especially God used them to bring the church back to the core message of the Bible, our need for salvation and to answer correctly the question of how we're saved, how we're made right with God. And those five solas that we were looking at summarize the Bible's answer to that question, how we're saved. And sola is Latin for alone. Faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone, and then also to God alone be glory and Scripture alone. And at Faith CRC, we stand on those five pillars. More than that, and, and this is what I want to think about a little bit this morning, we want our church itself to be a pillar of the Reformation today. We teach the pillars, we stand on the pillars, but we want to be a pillar. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in our text, calls the church a pillar in our verses. The readers of 1 Timothy, living in the ancient world, would no doubt think of the pagan temples that were filled with pillars when they heard this. Uh, Timothy, who this book was named after because it was written to him originally, led a church in Ephesus, and that's in present-day Turkey. In particular, in Ephesus, the temple of Diana was renowned for its pillars. I want you to see it up there. Um, 127 pillars. It was such a marvel that it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana. And so Paul brings that very familiar image to mind for God's people back then, a pillar. And we, we know what pillars are too. And he's saying, you be a pillar. In contrast to the pagan culture, in contrast to everything that temple stood for, you be a wonder church in this world. You be different in the world. 
And so what does it mean for us today to stand firm like a pillar, to stand out in contrast to the culture and the world? Well, I think it means, for one, that we have the secret to certainty. The church's pillar today means we have the secret to certainty. In our world, very little seems certain. And truth is hard to find. That was true in the ancient world. And so there were back then what were called mystery religions. And these were false religions that drew people in with the promise that they had the truth and they had the secret for life. But they were just cults. They led people away from God. Today, it's hard to find truth and certainty, too. You know, we, we talk a lot about uh, fake news today, right? That's, that's a, big, a big thing. Fake news and spin. I want you to listen to this example of spin. To please his father, a freshman in college went out for track. He had no athletic ability, though the father had been a really good runner. His first race was a two-man race in which he ran against the best runner on the track team, and he was badly beaten. Not wanting to disappoint his father, the, the, the young man wrote home as follows, you'll be happy to know that I ran against Bill Williams, the best runner in school. He came in next to last while I came in second. And that's a spin on the truth to say the least. We talk about spin. We talk about fake news these days. Um, I heard someone, I don't remember if it was written or I was talking to someone, lament recently that you used to tell, be able to tell the difference between fake news and real news. Fake news was on the racks by the grocery store registers, right? But today, it's all mixed up. It is. You can't tell what's true or what's false. We have a culture of mistruth, of untruth, of spin, of fake news, of falsehoods. In the midst of that, the church has the truth. In the midst of that, the church has the secret to certainty. In contrast to the world, Paul says the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And those five solas we studied are the truth. We teach those. We stand on them with all Bible-believing churches. And when you stand on the truth of God's Word, you can be assured that even while uh, the culture is sinking into quicksand, you can be sure that you, by contrast, can stand on solid ground. Paul talks about the mystery of godliness. And Paul uses that word mystery like 20 times in his letters in the New Testament. And he, he does that often and uses that word in particular, we're pretty sure, in the face of those mystery religions of the day who claim to have special mysteries and secrets. And he's saying to God's people, let me show you the real secret. Let me give you the real mystery. And then what he'll often do is go on to tell us 
the heart of the gospel message, God's love in Jesus. They'll tell about Jesus' coming and salvation in Christ alone. And he does that. Um, and it'd be cool, it, it, I didn't tell you to keep your Bibles open, but if you do, you can see it in verse 16. And, and you know how we had the words set up on the screen? It was almost like a poem. That's how it is in the NIV and other Bibles. Um, so he tells the mystery by quoting an early church confessional hymn. It was a hymn that summarized the basics of what we believe about salvation, the basics of what we believe, the heart and core of the mystery of salvation. He appeared in a body that refers to Christ's birth, Jesus' birth, the incarnation. He was vindicated by the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, a lot of times the Spirit is mentioned when the resurrection is talked about. In Romans 8.11, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you, which is an awesome reality for us. But Paul connects the Spirit with raising Christ from the dead. And so the first two lines are about Christmas and Easter, two of the most critical events in Jesus' life and work that we confess. He was seen by angels. And if you think about it, angels were present, especially at Christ's birth and also again on Easter They gave witness to his coming and work. But Jesus didn't come to save the angels. And so we read next, he was preached among the nations. So that's great commission language. He was believed on in the world. Any number of people reject Christ and salvation, but others respond in faith. Believed on in the world. Well, that's the invitation that goes out to everyone to believe on his name. Taken up in glory, it must refer to the ascension into heaven. And so Jesus and his work to save lost sinners, that's the mystery of godliness. That's the secret to certainty. With all the fake news out there, people are lost. They don't have the correct knowledge. They don't have direction for living. And so we as a church... We teach the good news, the truth, to young and old. We do it through our children's ministries, through Bible studies in small groups. We preach it during Sunday worship services. We sing this truth. But also, each one of us individually is involved. It it actually starts with each one of us. How does it go if you want to change the world? You have to start with you, right? Um, We know that God initiates our salvation, so it might be more accurate to say uh, you start with you, to say God starts with you to change the world. But you get the idea. And so this being a pillar, standing in contrast to the world, secondly this morning, begins with each one of us in God's plan. In verse 15, Paul uses the language of how God's people conduct themselves in God's household. So now this is more about um, our lives, our behavior. And in chapters 2 and 3 of this book, Paul talks about that quite a bit. He talks about prayer, dressing modestly, order in the church, characteristics of elders and deacons. And he talks about how we live in the world too, early in chapter 2. 
We live quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So, not only doctrine, a foundation of truth, is critical to us being a pillar, but also people living the Christian life is critical. And and so, in a sense, each one of us is called to be a pillar of the Reformation. And in fact, uh, we... We, we use that language to talk about people we respect, right? People who we look up to. He or she is a pillar of the community, a pillar of the church. I have one living grandfather, and he's a pillar uh, in our family, in his church. He loves the Lord. He loves the truth of God's word. But it's not only that. He's caring. He's kind. He lives out the faith. You know, someone who cares about the truth and and who pounds the importance of doctrine but doesn't live the Christian life day by day, that person is really missing something. In fact, most of the qualifications that Paul gives for elders and deacons are matters of Christian character. Living, how you live. On the other hand, someone who is kind and loving but doesn't care much about sound teaching, well, that type of person is missing something too because all over the place in Scripture, we're called to love God's Word. We're called to delight in His law. We're called to teach what Jesus taught. We're called to protect the church against false teaching. We're called to keep the doctrine pure. That balance between sound doctrine and holy living is prominent in Paul's conversation about the church being a pillar. And so that means it's critical for the church today too. Uh, They are both something, our elders, who are called to lead us, are called to cultivate and maintain and increase doctrine, the truth of God's Word as the Bible teaches it, and each one of us living the truth, first of all in the church and then Everywhere we go. Thinking of that balance between the truth and living for Jesus and holiness and godliness, I have to tell you, I've, I've been quite impressed with the level of balance that we have at Faith Church. I've seen churches who love God's Word, who are serious about the truth like we are, but they're not so loving And in fact, some of the people and leaders can be downright mean in the name of maintaining the truth at all costs. And that's terrible. That's terrible. Other churches might be loving and kind and warm, but they're all wishy-washy on the truth. That's not right either. When people visit us in worship or start getting connected to our community, we want people to hear God's truth We want people to hear those five solas coming through in our teachings. We want them to hear the secret to certainty and know that they can learn here how to stand firm with their families in contrast to the quicksand of the world. And we want people to experience godliness and holiness in our conduct, care, love, warmth, and to experience a family of faith as they interact with every one of us. That's how we're a pillar of the Reformation today. 
One more thought about this pillar this morning. Finally, the church as pillar means we want to advance God's plan and kingdom. Our purpose as a church is to serve God's great purpose in the sweep of history, to call people to himself and for his kingdom to advance and to grow. 1 Timothy 2, it talks about God wanting people to come to the truth. God wanting people to be saved. And that's verse 4 of chapter 2. And, and it also shows us in there how he uses us in that plan in our lives for people to be saved. Uh, the point of us teaching the truth, the point of us living the life, is not so we look good and so we're impressive, but it's all at the service of the divine plan. This is all for God's kingdom. This is all for God's glory, as we talked about with Pastor Matthew last week. But then, then we, we stop and we think and we wonder. Because when we use this this sort of dramatic, this big language of God's kingdom coming, God's kingdom advancing in this world, we might ask, well, well, where is it? You might wonder where the evidence of it is sometimes. You might say, Pastor, we're talking about the church being this strong pillar in comparison to the church around, to the culture around us, but I just don't see it. I don't see the church making much difference or headway and it feels like those pillars of the temple of Diana vastly outnumber us and they threaten to even overwhelm the pillar of the church. It seems that they're winning the day, not the mission of God's church. We have this secret to certainty, but sometimes it feels like no one else is getting it. These mass shootings continue at concerts, at schools and churches. Marriages in our society continue to fall apart. Uh, these last weeks, you saw in the news maybe all these people in power. It started out with people in, in Hollywood especially and then more politicians. All these people in power in our society and these allegations coming out of of dozens and dozens of cases of abuse and misconduct over, over the last decades. People are so far from living the life of, of godliness and holiness that, that they're called to. Is the church just totally failing as a pillar? As God's children, we want to be part of the advancement of God's plan and kingdom, but where's the kingdom? And it seems like that more than any other time in history, kingdom values are being trampled on. They're being discarded. People uh, don't care about God and His ways. People seem so depraved, so lost. God's people have wondered things like that before. And Jesus addresses this. Once in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus was sitting by a lake. The disciples were there. 
crowds of others who were listening to him and following him. And Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God and its unexpected character in the face of the world. And he showed them a mustard seed. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this seed, the smallest of all the seeds, but it grows to be the largest of all the garden plants. We as a church, as individuals, we're called to plant those little seeds all over in every area of our life, in our lives, in the church, in the community, in the world, and we trust that God will grow those seeds and his kingdom will prevail. Zechariah 4 says, don't despise the day of small things. Little, a little church out there of 50 or 75 people, well, what, what can God do with that? A little Bible study or a group talking about God's word or, or talking about the sermon of the day, how can those things make any difference? Think of me praying with my kids, me praying for my kids and family, having devotions with them and, and trying to disciple them. I mean, what do I know and what can I do? I'm so imperfect. You think about your prayer as a family, devotions, reading the Bible. What can God do with that in the midst of this huge world? What can God do with all that in the midst of, of this culture? But the fact is, that's how God works with the small things. And so be assured that every little thing we do, a dollar given to support the church, a little donation to pads, every prayer, every little ministry, every act of service, everything we do as unto the Lord, be assured that God does great things with small things like a mustard seed. That's how he grows and that's how he advances his kingdom. It's how he's always done it, right? Jesus' birth looked like nothing. And then think about that. It seemed like for years, nothing really happened. His mo mother must have wondered as the years went on about those big promises that she got uh, about her son from the angel Gabriel. But then 30 years after his birth, his public ministry started. Jesus started doing miracles. He taught the people. The crowds gathered, and then he was rejected, died, and buried. And three days later, he rose again from the dead. His life and death and resurrection accomplished the salvation of all who would believe. The center of all human history came from what seemed like nothing in comparison to the world. The seed at Bethlehem blossomed and grew into the most important work ever. And so, our work, through the power of His finished work, can blossom and grow. And it does. Our little endeavors, trust that the secret to certainty is getting out as we proclaim it and teach it, and as each one of us live for Jesus. Believe that God's plan is coming together it's moving forward. We're just called to keep planting the little seeds. We don't worry about their growth so much. 
We don't compare them to what the world considers great. That's all God's job. He takes care of that. He'll advance his kingdom, his plan to the very end with his method, with his church, with you and me. And so, sometimes, in spite of appearances, the church is God's pillar in the world. Let's continue to stand together in the face of our culture, plant the seeds of truth, plant the seeds of life, plant the seeds of the kingdom, and trust that God will use us even at Faith Church, and know and be assured, and I know this is the case, he already has used us, he is using us in wonderful, wonderful ways. Keep planting the seeds and give the growth to God. Amen.